0: Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Wynne Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. If not... Keep working on it, because it is not only a blessing to receive the love and light of life, but it is a mighty, mighty, mightier blessing to be and radiate the love and light of our own mighty I Am Presence. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and life, and y'all be loved. All plans of economic security which have ever been adopted by the human race, whether proposed as a policy of government or under the sponsorship of the various religious orders of the day, have been tried and tested, yet they have all failed. Every known method of producing and distributing the necessities and luxuries of life, and of providing peace and security for the human race, has been tried except one. But this one, not even the world's most trusted leaders have dared to recommend, for spiritual wickedness in high places has produced a race of moral cowards. Fear of ridicule or criticism occupies such an important place in human thought that no one with influence and power in public life, and to whose voice all the world would listen, has dared to suggest the one and only plan of human relationship which, if applied to the production and distribution of the needs of human life, successfully solve the all-important problem of bringing to pass the peace on earth, and goodwill among men, for which mankind have ceaselessly prayed throughout countless ages. This one solution has never been tried because of the fact that those who know enough to make such a recommendation, and who have sufficient power and influence to enforce it, would be obliged to sacrifice their precious egotistical belief in their own superiority and the conviction that, because of their exalted positions, they deserve a greater share of the world's goods than their fellows. This one solution might be described in just two words, if men were unselfish enough to recognize and acknowledge their true import and intended meaning. Yes, if the plan for ending poverty and war were founded upon the spirit, as well as the letter of Christ Jesus' golden rule, and if men were not too egotistical to accept a system established upon absolute economic equality, the concept of one for all and all for one, Then there would be no difficulty in completely describing the solution of these age-old world problems with just two words, mankind united. Whether men are black or yellow, white or red, tall or short, stout or thin, they are nevertheless the children of identically the same creator as ourselves, and, whether we like it or not, they are still our brothers and sisters, with identically the same rights of occupancy of this world home and the use of all it contains, as the greatest genius or the most sublime egotist, either man or woman, who has ever trod this globe. Of those who have occupied either the most lowly, or the most sought-after stations in human life, none have ever brought even one loaf of bread with them when they arrived here, nor have yet succeeded in removing or taking even one loaf of bread with them when they left. They bring no proofs of their superiority with them when they come, and they take none with them when they go. During their lifetime here, the sun gives no evidence of desiring to shine on one more than on another, nor the earth to feed or provide, out of its limitless treasure house of gifts for mankind, any greater gifts to one than to another. Man only, has assumed the responsibility of classifying one human being as more important than another and has determined what the rewards of such a classification shall be. The only way in which such a system could possess any elements of justice, would be for every man, woman and child on our earth to have an equal voice in determining what the various scales of compensation or reward should be, both for those who are accepted by their fellows as being superior, and also the rewards of those who are supposed to have inferior capabilities. However, the odd part of our economic system, which permits a greater accumulation of this world's goods for one than for another, is that the deciding voices in such matters, and the voices which determine just who should be considered as superior, and who shall receive the greatest rewards, have always been the voices, not of those who have rendered the greatest service to the human race, nor those who have lived the most exemplary lives, nor composed the world's most beautiful music, poems and literature, nor painted its grandest pictures, nor developed its most useful inventions, but instead, those who have actually had the deciding voice in the distribution of life's luxuries, and even its barest requirements, have, without even one exception in human history, been those who have rendered the least service to mankind, and left the fewest evidences of having brought happiness into the lives of our Earth's inhabitants. In fact, those who have usually formulated and enforced the humanly devised laws under which men live, and which determine the amount of this world's goods they may possess, have most invariably been those who have brought about the wholesale slaughter of the greatest number of their fellow beings, and produce the greatest amount of human suffering in the form of broken hearts and starved bodies. With the exception of mankind's self-appointed rulers, there are but few who would not joyously welcome a system of human relationship which would value and estimate qualities of superiority, solely from the standpoint of the greater service to the human race that one might render over another, Or who would not willingly agree that such people should receive as a reward, not a greater amount of the world's goods, which are, after all, lent to each of us equally by our Creator and belong no more to one than to another, neither are they actually ours to give or to take away from each other, but instead, that they should be appointed as instructors, guides and directors, in order that they might thereby help others to learn how to constructively seek individual happiness, and yet at the same time, succeed in serving their brother man more effectually. Any other method of appointing leaders or of rewarding exemplary service, brings about one of two results. Mainly, either through bribery or favoritism, incompetent men or women frequently gain positions of authority over their fellows and, the blind leading the blind, chaos results, or if rewards are in the form of a greater amount of this world's goods than others are enabled to possess, then jealousy and envy breed bitterness and hate and bitterness and hate breed murder and war, nor can these effects ever be avoided so long as an economic system which permits such inequalities to exist continues to govern the lives of men. Mankind united, one for all and all for one, doing unto others as we would have others do unto us, constitutes the one and only solution of the dual curses, poverty and war, from which human beings have endlessly suffered. Whether or not we think we are too good to soil our hands, or to degrade our precious concept of our own superiority through association with others whom we believe to be less capable than ourselves, or of a different color of skin, or members of different fraternal or religious associations, as the case may be, the fact still remains that this world home of ours was provided equally for the people of every nation, and for those of every color, and the sun was meant to shine as much upon one as upon another. We are indisputably our brother's keeper in the sense of granting him equal rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and of preventing such rights from ever being withheld from any human being on this earth. We have no more right to shut our eyes to the inexcusable suffering caused by greed, selfishness, egotism, and the insanely depraved scramble of a worldwide pack of wolves for power, dominion, flattery and wealth, than we would have to sit down and enjoy a delicious meal knowing that our mother brother or sister were in the next room slowly wasting away from undernourishment and gradually starving to death mankind will never find happiness until there is an intelligently expressed semblance of equality of opportunity and freedom and a limitless worldwide abundance for everyone of the necessary or desirable requirements of human life together with a leisure time for their enjoyment mankind united by arthur bell 1936 Isis Unveiled, Chapter Fourteen. Every craftsman can behold, in Egyptian monuments, the progress of his art 4,000 years ago. And whether it be a wheelwright building a chariot, a shoemaker drawing his twine, a leather cutter using the selfsame form of knife of old as is considered the best form now, a weaver throwing the same hand shuttle, A whitesmith using that identical form of blowpipe but lately recognized to be the most efficient, the seal engraver cutting, in hieroglyphics, such names as scuos, above 4,300 years ago, all these and many more astounding evidences of Egyptian priority, now require but a glance at the plates of Rossellini. Truly, exclaims Mr. Peebles, these Rameshahn temples and tombs were as much a marvel to the Grecian Herodotus as they are to us. But, even then, the merciless hand of time had left its traces upon their structures, and some of them, whose very memory would be lost were it not for the books of Hermes, had been swept away into the oblivion of the ages. King after king, and dynasty after dynasty had passed in a glittering pageant before the eyes of succeeding generations and their renown had filled the habitable globe. The same pall of forgetfulness had fallen upon them and their monuments alike, before the first of our historical authorities, Herodotus, preserved for posterity the remembrance of that wonder of the world, the Great Labyrinth. The long-accepted Biblical chronology has so cramped the minds of not only the clergy, but even our scarce unfettered scientists, that in treating of prehistoric remains in different parts of the world, a constant fear is manifested on their part to trespass beyond the period of 6,000 years, hitherto allowed by theology as the age of the world. Herodotus found the Labyrinth already in ruins, but nevertheless his admiration for the genius of its builder's knew no bounds He regarded it as far more marvelous than the pyramids themselves, and, as an eyewitness, minutely describes it. H. P. Blavatsky The French and Prussian savants, as well as other Egyptologists, agree as to the emplacement, and identified its noble ruins. Moreover, they confirm the account given of it by the old historian. Herodotus says that he found therein three thousand chambers, half subterranean and the other half above ground. The upper chambers, he says, I myself passed through and examined in detail. In the underground ones, which may exist till now, for all the archaeologists know, the keepers of the building would not let me in, for they contain the sepulchres of the kings who built the labyrinth, and also those of the sacred crocodiles. The upper chambers I saw and examined with my own eyes, and found them to excel all other human productions. In Rawlinson's translation, Herodotus is made to say, The passages through the houses and the varied windings of the paths across the courts, excited in me infinite admiration as I passed from the courts into the chambers, and from thence into colonnades, and from colonnades into other houses, and again into courts unseen before. The roof was throughout of stone like the walls, and both were exquisitely carved all over with figures. Every court was surrounded with a colonnade, which was built of white stones, sculptured most exquisitely. At the corner of the labyrinth stands a pyramid forty fathoms high, with large figures engraved on it, and it is entered by a vast subterranean passage. If such was the labyrinth, when viewed by Herodotus, what, in such a case, was ancient Thebes, the city destroyed far earlier than the period of Someticus, who himself reigned 530 years after the destruction of Troy. We find that in his time Memphis was the capital, while of the glorious Thebes there remained but ruins. Now, if we, who are unable to form our estimate only by the ruins of what was already ruined so many ages before our era, are stupefied in their contemplation, what must have been the general aspect of Thebes in the days of its glory? Karnak, temple, palace, ruins, or whatsoever the archaeologists may term it, is now its only representative. But solitary and alone as it stands, fit emblem or majestic empire, as if forgotten by time in the onward march of the centuries, it testifies to the art and skill of the ancients. He must be indeed devoid of the spiritual perception of genius, who fails to feel as well as to see the intellectual grandeur of the race that planned and built it. H. P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 14. I wish to explain our blessings and our service to life, our divine plans' fulfillment, and our effort to assist the mighty Saint Germain to purify and save this nation that is the heart of the world. And if we do not save it, you will not have civilization anywhere in the world. You will not have beings taking embodiment in this world unless this nation is purified and protected and saved that its heart may hold our love to help the rest of the world go forward to its ascension. Mankind needs to understand the heart flame of life from which perfection always comes, which is eternal, which is forever expanding, and which is the victory and the ever-illumining presence of the ascended master's octave of perfection. Mankind can have limitless love and purity, and power without limit to wipe out everything in this world that is less than perfection, if mankind wants it. If mankind will look up to that which is greater than itself, and ask for the greater perfection, and then realize that the outer self must be purified if it is going to be worthy to use that greater perfection, which the outer self many times wants, but will not make the outer self worthy of its presence. You must be worthy of life's great blessings, precious ones. When mankind misuses the divinest gifts in all infinite space, the divinest powers of life's perfection, mankind is entrusted with those blessings, those powers of creation, then certainly they carry a responsibility to the individual who is blessed by those activities of life within the outer personal self. I shall develop gratitude and understanding, reverence and peace within the feeling of the outer self of every individual to whom I give my love, because there must come honor and reverence, and adoration and conscious illumination and understanding, of that which is greater than mankind. Mankind must understand the greater perfection and blessing that love alone can manifest, and down here, Mankind must make itself worthy of that love if human beings' discord and limitations and destruction are to be consumed. Beloved Elohim of Peace The great cosmic law which is embodied in the great cosmic beings who have created this earth and this system of worlds, if they have placed in this world the magnificent life of the powers of nature and forces of the elements, and the love of their own life streams, to provide a planet upon which mankind can embody and draw forth the master powers of life to attain the ascension, and become a creator of a world or a system of worlds like those cosmic beings. If mankind does not awaken to its responsibility to the universe around it, And understand that the constructive way of life is the only right way to live and remember the honor and the reverence that is due to that which is greater than itself if mankind will not learn that lesson then there must come the suffering of the human creation charged back into the creator of its frightful misuse of life life is very wonderful beloved ones life itself from the great central sun is the container of everything that is of perfection all the intelligence of infinite space is within life All the magnificent substance and energy and consciousness that creates worlds and systems of worlds is all within life, and life is the only thing you have to use to produce any kind of manifestation. Therefore, mankind must awaken to some kind of love and gratitude and understanding of the responsibility of using life. Life is the divine. Immortal existence of the great central sun, and when the outer personal self of human beings in this world continually uses the blessings of the powers of nature and forces of the elements, and continually misuses them, then there must come conscious understanding that the infinite universe around this physical world is the infinite life of infinite perfection and infinite power and infinite intelligence, much greater than all mankind put together. This will come. Applause. Thank you so much. Won't you be seated please? Beloved Elohim of Peace.